You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. So Republican lawmakers today, they've actually yesterday, but for today, later, they'll be voting on someone from Louisiana to perhaps lead the party. Go. So that's the, the latest. And I think they're taking a vote later in the day. Let me make a new friend. From Flyover Conservatives podcast is David Whited. Man, I got to learn a bit more about your podcast before we move on. Tell, tell me a bit more of what you do on, on that podcast. Well, I guess basically when uh, uh, we look at the world and uh, we have the biggest questions like, hey, why is this happening? Uh, we try to have the guests on that can kind of explain it and break it down. So it's, you know, people like Dr. Peter McCullough, when we're talking about medical and and uh Dinesh D'Souza and people, filmmakers kind of the best from like the political realm military realm you know uh all of those things we started two years ago and mm-hmm. we get about five and a half million downloads uh on on the podcast and um um we try to ask interesting questions and we're comfortable with usually being the dumbest one in the room <laughs> and uh but very but very curious to get to you know uh-huh. uh, the answers and find out you know see, what's that, going on see so but that's that's a fun, fun journey yeah i i i completely agree and identify with what you say. You got to be the dumbest one in the room, but know how to ask the right questions, though. They can always be curious, just kind of chip away and gnaw away at that. Tell me about yourself, Dave. I mean, yes. how, how do you pay the bills? Is it through the podcast, or what do you do for a living? Well, full-time now, it's podcast. When we first started this, it was uh, our two adult children. Our youngest uh, was a school teacher, and our, our, we have a 30-year-old and a 27-year-old, and we're grandparents now. And basically, well, the reason we started it is because early in 21, we started seeing this censorship taking place that was kind of crazy. We had a business background. We've done everything from missions work. We lived in, in orphanages in Mexico. We used to come through McAllen coming up from Monterey when our kids were in high school. Excellent. Uh, we, we lived in orphanages for a couple of years. So before that, just business career, my wife and I started our first company when we were 23 and I've always worked hard and read a chapter of, a, of the book of Proverbs every single morning when we start the day and say, okay, hey, you know, what, what can we apply wisdom wise to our our business and our, our, our work. So that's kind love of it. been our, I love it. Our, our background. Excellent. So we've been doing some Christian ministry in Mexico. We have plenty of experience in that. Now there's just, there's something kind of special that happens when you're serving somebody that maybe can't immediately do something for you that, that was, I thought would be kind of good for us, but be really good for our kids, which were in high school. At the yes, time. sir. And uh, oh my goodness. It's, it's been the best thing we ever did. Lord bless you. No, I agree. Look, I, I'm among the few blessed who actually have been, have lived in Mexico as a boy, and I, and I saw poverty firsthand. I thank God that I had, had parents who loved me and provided for my ungrateful mouth when I was a kid. I had no idea how good I had it. Uh, but, yeah, you know, renting homes and barely eking by an existence. And my dad, I never went hungry, but I did get to see the poverty that, that a generation later still exists, sadly, despite, you know, the H.E. Butts and the Cinemarks and the movie theaters and, and all the factories just south of me in Reynosa in Mexico. It's still there. The trash heaps are still there. The poverty, people rummaging through the trash still there. And then we got the criminal element and, and the uncontrolled migration. It, it is so sad. But I'm hoping and praying for better days. There's a re- reason yeah. why people risk everything to try to get here. Yes, you know, sir. The opportunity, and it, it, it levels the playing field and it makes you sad when so many people that this is their normal, you know, complain a lot because this is, you're very, very blessed. You win a lottery ticket when you, when you yes, start. Yes, sir. No, and sure. that's what I was leading to. I'm, I'm so grateful that you, ha- you had a chance, you and your wife had a chance to Provide some service and and wash the feet of folks south in, in, in Mexico, these orphanages, take care of these babies abandoned, and let your kids, your kids grow up seeing this 
and, 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 and got a different perspective on the reality of their existence and appreciation. God bless you for, for doing that. Okay, amigo. So I, I noticed that the number we called to, to connect with you today, and thanks to the gang over at Fox for providing me uh, your number. Uh, you're, are you still in Tennessee? Is that is that where you are? Uh, no, we, 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 we did. We lived in Nashville before going to Mexico, and that's kind of where uh, that number came from. We had an independent record label that, that we ran from there. and uh, But, no, we live in, in Kansas City, Missouri now. Okay. It's kind of close to where we grew up. Uh, our parents were getting older, and so when we came back out of, out of Mexico, we all were right. like, all right, let's, let's, let's hunker down before our kids have kids, and then you can't hardly move them. So sure. let's get them close to us and get them recruited close before they disappear on okay, us. Let me make right. I got another fun question for it before I let you go, but I got about two minutes left in my conversation with you. Uh, Mike Johnson, uh, GOP selling on Mike Johnson. They say he's uh, conservative. Uh, they, they say that he's more like a Jim Jordan type. I want to get your quick opinion on Mike Johnson, the current nominee for GOP for House Speaker. Uh, I'll just say two things. The, the, the imagery of the support around him when he had his press conference yesterday, I think is very telling that it, it'll probably pass today when he goes to the vote at noon. Um, uh, Scalise, Gates, a lot of these people are, are throwing a lot of praise his direction, saying he's a good, godly man, well-principled. These things, uh, a, a phrase for your listeners to kind of hang on to, it's this thing, single-subject appropriation bills. Single-subject appropriation bills. Yes, sir. Um, people, people are tired of, of, of a, you know, $2,000 worth of groceries getting thrown in the cart, and uh, you don't have an itemization of what actually went in there. It's like sending <laughs> your, your high school kid to the grocery store with your credit card. <laughs> You know, it's like you spent two thousand dollars on groceries. What'd you get? You know, um, boy, I sent you to the grocery of, store to get milk and bread, with. and that's it. Before you know, it, you want to buy the whole store. Yeah, that's exactly what they do up in D.C. Okay, so yeah, single issue legislation that'd be wonderful. I don't know how you negotiate that with a crazy Democrat Senate, but hey, we we need to start pushing the issue, single issue uh, legislation. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that he's a big fan of that. And you're convinced that he's going to pass. You're convinced that he's going to be. He's going to be speaker, from what I hear. I, I, I am. I knew that there would be a, you know, at least one or two mulligans in there because a lot of people – I was surprised McCarthy got ousted. Um, but I think that that's the voice of the people. There's a big gap right now between the voice of our leadership and the voice of us people. The people feel like their children living in a home and that they have, like, no food, then they have no shoes on their feet, and the dad of the house is buying every kid in the neighborhood – you know, uh, McDonald's and taking them to dinner and buying them shoes. And, and I, love I think it. the people are frustrated with that a little bit. Yeah. There's some, some accountability. Wherever you are in the whole spectrum of Ukraine support, at some point you want to say, okay, there's been billions and billions. Is there a spreadsheet I can look at or something? Like, can I see the receipt? Yes, like, sir. where exactly is all this going? Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're giving one nation more money than the entire military budget of their opponent. Yes, sir. Um, and, and, and I think whether you're for that or against it, I think you realize we're paying for that. It took all the way up until Ronald Reagan for us to get a trillion dollars in, in debt. And we've done it again in the last 90 days. Yes, sir. That's so, crazy. Um, that's it's crazy. happening so quick. People yeah. want to see the receipts. All right. I got 10 seconds, Dave. Missouri barbecue, Texas barbecue. Go. Which one? It's not even close, Missouri. Uh, oh, but not in the restaurant. my goodness. You know, I was going to call you back for more conversation in, <laughs> in the future, but no, the, the unforgivable sin. Dave, I'm turning my back on you, brother. Actually, I'm turning around, shaking your hand, giving you a hug right now. <laughs> hey, Sergio, thanks <laughs> yeah. for having me on. Yes, Don, sir. I'd love to meet you in person someday. From Flyover Conservatives Podcast is David White. This is the Sergio Show. Mike Johnson is the Speaker of the House. Republicans finally set her up. 
settle on new leadership, but, man, they got a lot to do. Dustin Olston, to help me examine, no honeymoon for the new Speaker of the House. He's with American Pulse Research. So let's review real quick some of the key issues that they need to swing at right now, Dustin. Yeah, so in his, uh, his first speech, the new Speaker talked about debt. He talked about the border. He talked about um, Israel. One of the first things that the new house did was a resolution in support of Israel. So there's a lot of stuff to deal with. And it took 22 days to pick a new speaker. And we now have about 22, 21 days until November 17th when they have to fund the government again. So they're going to be going through that process all over again with the new speaker. Um, Thankfully, when McCarthy was there, uh, they actually had passed uh, some of the appropriations bills, and about 70% of the okay. um, overall budget had been uh, approved at that time. This process of late has been very embarrassing and chaotic and and painful for the Republicans. I doubt very much that somebody will be pulling the trigger. Any Anyone, Jew people, will be pu- pulling the trigger, trigger to get rid of the, of the present uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, uh, despite the fact that Mike needs to sit down with Dems and likely negotiate another continuing resolution on how to you know buy stuff, spend stuff up in D.C. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, a year from now as a pollster at American Pulse, we've been tracking some of these issues. We actually have a survey in the field right now on Israel, on Ukraine, on the border, and on spending. And people can go to pollingclub.com to get that. Uh, it'll come out on probably Monday or Tuesday. And we're asking these questions. While people don't like the ouster of McCarthy and while people don't like the potential of shutting down the government, which is why, you know, people were, I guess, happy that McCarthy was able to avoid that a month ago, just a month ago. Um, ultimately, they really, really, really hate the $33 trillion debt. Mm-hmm. And they really, really hate the omnibus, you know, put everything into it, bills. And I, I think it actually comes out in the wash. And if we have, have some wins for the country, not just for Republicans, but for the country, I don't think people are going to think too much about this, especially a year from now. You mentioned the enormous, uh, the potentially lethal debt that we have in our country this seems to be spiraling yep. out of control and of course the omnibus bills that the porculus bills that have everything in there if people are so upset you know and the polls express uh, their disdain for this why do they keep i think the follow-up question would be why do you keep voting for the same politicians mostly democrats who want to throw everything into a spending measure yeah i think partly chaos which is what happens whenever you try to change things that has you know change can always be scary and that's ultimately what we're talking about like we're we're talking about seriously changing spending habits which is like an addiction for people up on capitol hill and you're it's it's a threat to a lot of people to not get the the pork barrel um spending that they want you know the president is pushing this 106 billion dollar uh, aid package for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, um, with some border measures, though it doesn't seem like they're really talking about security in it. But the truth is, so they're calling it kind of this Israel plus package. Um, I went through the math. <laughs> Israel is only about 13%. So 
the plus part is 90, almost Jeez. 90% of the thing. Oh, my goodness. It's something that people are going to be shocked. You should uh, check out the, uh, the Wall Street Journal this morning. has some information about this. One of the things that's in that, we're, we're, we're trying to get all this money for supposedly for you, for Israel. And there's a wastewater treatment facility or water treatment facility in Southern California in the, in the list. Yeah. The one from San Diego. Yeah. What well, that was, was in the news as well. So, so much for what are, are we already giving up with the battle cry? Cause I understand Mike Johnson was a big fan of this and the battle cry was we, we need single issue legislation. So already are we bending a knee and, and putting everything into, you know, some pork of spending bill? Yeah. So I, so this is interesting. The fact that he got unanimous support from the Republican conference is really important. And you actually have people like Ralph Norman, who's the uh, the budget chief for Republicans, pretty conservative guy. And I think people are just being, uh, kind of unusual for politics. People are being realistic about we have 21 days to put this together. Uh, they are talking about a continuing resolution or a um, short-term spending measure to get to January to give the new speaker some a little bit of runway okay. to actually deal with some of these things. So, you know, I think honestly, we had a situation with McCarthy who I would describe him as being unflappable, even to the point of he knew that he would probably lose the speakership and he went ahead and did what he thought was right. Um, people can acknowledge that, but also with the opportunity of new leadership, you kind of have in business, they call it the, the new CEO move and you have, the new speaker can actually deal with some things that maybe the last guy couldn't as well as he's doing it with the unanimous support of okay. the caucus. And that's, that's pretty big. I think about 90 seconds left in this conversation, Dustin pollster, Dustin Olson, American pulse research, I guess right now, the border lack of security, open border, the Biden border mess that we have now that we got New York and Chicago and LA, they're all up in arms upset that, Hey, they're getting illegal immigrants being bused from Texas and folks who are just choosing to go there with a free bus tickets they get from NGOs or plane tickets they get from NGOs. So, oh, now they're squealing and they're complaining. How does the <laughs> issue of the open border show up on, on your polling data? Are people finally starting to realize the mess that we're in? Yeah, Sergio, that's an excellent question. And y'all know about this more than, than most people in the country. And this is uh, in the survey that we're in the field with right now, which people can go to pollingclub.com to get it for free on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, we actually asked this question. We actually prioritize Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and border security to see what people rank. And I have a, a sense from the initial results. It will likely be border security and Israel will be the top things that people say they want to, to focus on. This is it. Just people are scratching their heads, and this is the problem with Washington D.C. There's almost universal support for strong border security by Republican and Democrat voters. Yet there are leaders in both parties, primarily the Democrat Party, that just don't do it. Yeah. And people just wonder how can this be something that we don't solve? And we saw under Trump that it got solved fairly quickly. We saw under Biden that got broken pretty quickly. So it's definitely something that can be fixed. But, you know, people in Texas are dealing with this a lot more than other places. Right. And I some people would say it's just that other people are now getting to deal with it. We'll, we'll look for all that polling data, polling 
pollingclub.com. That's pollingclub.com, pollster, and uh, from the Political Trade Secrets podcast, Dustin Olson. Thank you, Dustin. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. I'm making a new friend right now, Mike Banks. Is a border czar that actually does the border czar thing, giving Kamala Harris an example of how to get the job done. He's a border czar for Texas. For Governor Greg Abbott. Mike, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Tell me a little bit about yourself before we continue this conversation. Background, political or business-wise? Tell me about yourself, Mike. Well, good morning, Sergio, and thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I'm originally from Georgia, but I spent about 10 years in the military before landing in the Border Patrol. Spent another 23 years in the Border Patrol. Um, very familiar with the Valley. I served as patrol agent in charge of the Brownsville Station, the Rio Grande Station, the Westlaco Station, and the McCallum Station, including a stint as the division chief here in RGV. So I've spent tw- the last 23-plus years of my life on the border and uh, a lot of it here in the Rio Grande Valley. All right. So you're very familiar with KURV and talk radio and all the conversations through the years. And uh, I-, I suspect that your your heart breaks when you see Border Patrol agents, federal agents, forced, given orders, being told to go cut razor wire on the Texas-Mexican border. I want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, you know, it can't say enough about the Border Patrol agents, like you said, that, that under orders and direction, they're being forced to do something that, that uh, to hear them say it is just, this, it's discouraging, it's disheartening. But look, the absence of wire and other deterrent strategies that we're using here in Texas, um, it's just encouraging migrants to make this unsafe and illegal crossing between these ports of entries. You know, it's also making the job, you know, the cutting of the wires making the job of the Texas National Guard and DPS a lot more difficult and a lot more dangerous. You know, and the Biden administration has repeatedly ordered the wire that we've stalled to be cut. Um, you know, the wire has been effective. We know it's working, and that's why they're cutting it. Mm-hmm. And they continue to open these floodgates for these illegals to, to, to illegal immigrants to cross. You know, and the governor's office working closely with the attorney general to defend Texas constitutional right to secure a border, you know, um, you know, aimed at these threats from this, you know, Biden administration catastrophe on the border. And until the president steps up and does what he's supposed to do, which is his job to secure the, the border, we're going to continue to utilize every tool and strategy yes, we sir. can to secure our border and fill those dangerous gaps created by this. And state of Texas building more border wall than the Biden administration recently announced. Hey, uh, we're being, our hands are tied. I can't do anything. We've got to build more wall, 20 miles of wall. Start getting. Well, tell me about the, the Texas wall that's being built. Mike Banks is the border czar for Texas. So tell me about that border wall that Texas is building. Where is it? How much do we have, Mike? So right now we're, we're, we're we just we just hit 12 miles. Now understand that that a lot of times you got to get the easements and the, the real estate out of the way, but we're on we're on course to start building a mile a week as we continue putting it up, and we're putting it up everywhere where we find gaps. 
Um, one of the things we're not doing is we're not taking land. We're, we're doing it through cooperation with landowners. And so we're building in Star County. We're building in Valverde County. We're building in Maverick and Webb. And so we're going to continue putting that wall up. I, I find it funny that, you know, the Biden administration comes out recently. Not funny. I think sad would be the better. Yeah, better pathetic. Absolutely. Use, but yeah. Th- yeah, they come out and they say, well, we're going to build as an emergency. We're going to build 22 miles of wall and we're going to we're going to waive all these environmentals because we got to have the wall up. Two hours later, both the president and secretary say walls don't work, right? So uh, we're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, but uh, to build a wall, a wall they claim don't work. Uh, they just keep doubling <laughs> down on this broken border policy, and, and it, it is just absurd. And and so uh, look, walls work. We know they worked. Uh, if you live here in the Rio Grande Valley, you can go back and look at Brownsville back in the day, and and the border patrol was doing the same thing back then, where yeah, when we didn't right. have wall and infrastructure sending thousands of agents to work it. We put that infrastructure up. Now the lower part of the Rio Grande Valley in Cameron County account for about 3% of all the entries across the entire border, and that's because of the wall, the infrastructure, and the technology that comes with that wall. Yes, sir. And so uh, we're, we're picking up pace, and we're moving forward to that's, continue building a uh, wall here in the state of Texas, and we're not going to stop until we get Texas secure. Oof, man, that's about 20 years ago, uh, early 2000, op- <laughs> Operation Rio Grande. Man, I remember all those conversations. Um Back then, my guest, Mike Banks, former Border Patrol agent, he is the Texas Border Czar, helping the Abbott administration get the job done, Texas pushing back, trying to secure the border any which way possible. Legislation being worked on in this special session. Could you give me a quick recap on some of the border-related legislation that has passed so far at Texas House? So one of the ones that just recently passed uh, yesterday, and we're waiting on the governor to sign the law, will be, you know, 10 years punishment for those that are committed or uh, that are arrested for smuggling or operating a stash house and i think that's outstanding right i mean you got to have that deterrent in order to prevent the crime from happening and so texas is stepping up and increasing you know increasing that uh, there's two there's a couple of uh, items in legislation right now uh, related to the border but uh, the, the governor and, and the state of texas we're stepping up to fill those gaps that the Biden administration has created and continues doubling down and just and, and, and it's just a catastrophe. A lot of people say the Biden's policies aren't working. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of people say they are working. And this is exactly what they're intending to do, uh, destroy the country. But Texas is not going to sit back and stand for it. We're going to we're going to keep doing everything we can and exercising our constitutional authorities and and pushing for legislation to get laws passed that are going to help us continue securing this border. Mike, I, I really appreciate your time. Can you please stay on the line, speak with producer Freddie um, here as, as I let you go and check in with us again as legislation you know, plots forward uh, on this thing, on some type of security from the state of Texas perspective. I, I look forward to having you back, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Sergio. Yeah, stay on the line for me, Freddie. That's Mike Banks. He's the uh, border czar for the state of Texas, Governor Abbott and borders are in company up in Austin trying to do whatever they can to secure the Texas-Mexico border from illegal immigration. The Sergio Show on Newstalk 710-KURV. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. 
You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Tim Snyder is my friend. He's with MetadorEconomics.com. And as we see the world igniting, the world is on fire. <clears throat> Tim, it's good to know that we have a strategic petroleum reserve just in case we need to tap into that and, you know, keep the trucks running in this country. Hmm? You know, it'd be nice if, if it was full. You know, it's kind of like telling a, a, a guy that's been stranded out in the desert, it's great to see you. You can only have a half. A glass of water. <laughs> My goodness. We're not, I mean, how do we replenish something like that? Joe Biden tapped into that um, several times for political purposes, trying to lower the price of gas with barely just one, two cents here and there. Uh, like, we need to wait for the, uh, the cost per barrel to go down to a certain amount before it makes sense for us to, you know, taxpayers to buy a whole bunch of oil and put it back into reserves. What is that price and where are we right now? It'd probably be in the low seventies is where, where we would be on that Sergio. But you know, the, I mean, that, that would probably get us about break even for what we sold and what we were doing. But you know, the, the issue that I think really concerns me more than anything, think about the odds that it was going to take to have the exact same scenario develop 50 years after the initial um, conundrum that we dealt with back in 1973 over the Arab-Israeli war um, and the, and the, and the Yom Kippur uh, war back in, in, like I said, 1973, October, 1973, think of what the odds were that we would have the exact same scenario develop. The only answer to that question is, the odds must have been very high 50 years ago for us to figure, you know, we better protect ourselves in case this happens again. Yeah. And I think the U.S., not just the, not just the Biden administration, there's others as well. Um, they let their guard down. They got fat and happy. And they thought, well, you know, let's take care of me. And the next thing you know, the two-headed snake reached up and bit you again. How much, if, it, if we top it off, how much oil would we have in this strategic petroleum reserve? How many days, how many weeks would we have if it was well, if it was full? Right now we're at we're at about forty six percent of capacity. And so I'll tell you that full, I mean, is is, is a relative term, but um, you know, about seven hundred and ten million barrels is what we could hold there. So we'd probably have fifty five, sixty days of uh, reserves if we were going to use it to take care of gasoline needs here in the United States okay. and as well as the military as well. Which military and important um, like first responders, emergency vehicles, logistics, trucks using diesel, that would need to be a priority. Working people would just be screwed because we need the trucks running to deliver food. We need uh, right. you know eighteen wheelers. We need the military to, to fight all that in a in a nightmare scenario. Now you said fifty five days, right? If it's full, if it's full, yeah, fifty five to sixty days would be about correct. Right so, now we're at about twenty. <laughs> oh gosh, I published it yesterday, but I'm worried about twenty three, twenty four days uh, as where we are. That's not even. I would say sixty days is not nearly enough to you know un uncork. Um, unscrew all, all the uh, uh, 
all the lids for wells that have been shut down to try to meet demand, right? If if we at lightning speed yep. at, at warlike speed, how long would it take yep. our nation to uncork, unscrew all the all the wells that have been shut down in this country and, and you know, in an emergency situation, start pumping for our sake. How long would that take? I'm going to tell you it's going to take no no less than probably five months. If I'm going to say six months, it's probably closer to the uh, to Jesus. where we're going to need to be. Dude, that's a lot and of yeah, pain. That's, that's, yeah, that's a lot of things. But let me tell you something I think is pretty it, – it's – it's very telling here. If you look back at the at the Trump administration, Sergio, um, Donald Trump recognized the fact that we needed to fill the SBR yes. to 100% capacity just in case because they he saw that there were bad actors out there and there were opportunities for something bad to happen. And the U.S. Senate turned him down. Uh, the Democrat-held U.S. Senate turned him down and the, and the U.S. House as well. Uh, because they said they didn't want to have to spend the money right now, number one. And number two, they didn't believe the risk. Well, here we are, you know, four short, four short years later, and we got a big oops going on. Yeah. Well, that's that. Where are we as far as price of gas right now? Where are we, where are we headed going into Thanksgiving and Christmas? Uh, you know, right now we're starting to we, – we've reverted to – um, a seasonal pattern, which tells you that gasoline prices go down. We expect that. October is usually the lowest month for the price of crude oil. We've seen us come off of our highs. That's probably a good thing and taking a little pressure off gasoline. We've had to export more diesel over to the European Union because Russia cut off the EU for about a month period of time because they had to get their prices fixed. So we're still in an imbalance in diesel. I think diesel may very well go up a little bit because Remember, the diesel contract that we hedge uh, that we con- hedge our commodity prices with is the heating oil contract, and a lot of places in the Northeast United States still use heating oil to heat. Yeah. And we're coming into a winter that actually we had 3.1 days of fall here. Um, we're going from near 90 degrees uh-huh. the day before yesterday to we're going to have our first freeze on Tuesday. Ooh wee yeah. So, yeah. Tim is yeah, up in yeah, Dallas. He's in, in North Texas. Yeah, Dallas is going to freeze on, on Tuesday. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Okay. Um, so if we – I'm sorry. What's the forecast as far as winter for northeast where it counts, Midwest, northeast, where there will be sub-freezing temperatures up there for a while? Do you recall if it's going to be oh, a yeah. bad, bad winter? And the, the, concept, the idea is that the, the south – uh, the South shall rise again. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the South <laughs> right. are going to probably see uh, cooler than normal and more moisture. So, and that means we're going to need more uh, heating and those kinds of things, which means stresses on the electric grid, first and foremost, yeah. that cannot take additional stresses. And secondly, that means that you're going to see diesel or heating oil prices increase you're going to see gasoline prices probably decrease a little bit, a little bit less demand, number one, but also more seasonal. Crude oil prices are going sideways because of geopolitical risks. So the And natural gas prices, believe it or not, have been yeah, kind of starting to rise just a little bit, even though we're increasing our capacity and our storage. And yeah. that is a very good thing. That'll help mitigate some of these prices if we depend on natural gas. Economist Tim Snyder, my friend from North Texas. MatadorEconomics.com in 60 seconds. Tim.
or some of the mental midgets on Twitter, X, doing the jig and celebrating, <laughs> saying, Bidenomics is working. GDP close to 5% most recent report. Unemployment record lows. Uh, 60 seconds, you're in the elevator. Push back real quick. Go. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, ignoring an economy is not uh, a way to manage an economy. We've allowed conditions to develop here in the United States where the Federal Reserve cannot be successful without the without the assistance of the federal government, the elected federal government. We're not getting that. Conditions have not changed. Bidenomics is the biggest boondoggle that's ever been brought upon this country. Yeah, until people... How Bidenomics working with all the stuff still super expensive at the grocery store and gas more expensive and all that. Thank you, Tim. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay warm, brother. It's going to be nice next week. That's Tim Snyder of the Dallas area. MatadorEconomics.com. This is the Sergio Show. A study from Rutgers said that roughly one in four teens may have undiagnosed autism. Well, let me bring in an expert. And autism, Dr. Francis Murphy. Dr. Francis, tell me about your work when it comes to autism through the years. Well, recently in the past uh, few years, I, I, I retired a few years ago and came back into practice because I discovered um, a way to help people that were um, suffering from Tourette syndrome and, and from um, ADD and ADHD, which are all part of this whole spectral way of looking at children, okay. autism, and, and, um, and how children are developing nowadays. And I know it's a very general question, but it, it's in my head. I suspect somebody driving around town is probably thinking the same thing. Could you please define autism? What is that, sir? Well, it's, that's a very good question because they, now they consider autism a spectrum. So it's a wide variety of different, uh, you know, different symptoms or different signs, things that um, doctors can see and, and scale. There's actually a thing called a diagnostic statistical manual that, of mental disorders that doctors use to um, correctly position children on the spectral scale correctly. Autism has always been been a part of the human experience, right? It's just, it hasn't been defined or diagnosed till like the past, what, 40 years plus? Or when when, when did we start pin, pinning it down? Well, you know what? I think probably a lot longer than that, as long as there's been environmental poisons and metals and that are finding their way into the human body, That these are the types of things that create autism, that create mental disorders, having heavy metals uh, arrive in your brain when they're not supposed to be. Even a long time ago, they banned people from using lead paint because children used to eat the paint chips. And <laughs> I'm remember, sorry. Yeah, I, there's so many jokes related to that. I'm sorry related to that. <laughs> but, what, but whether it's the 50s and 60s, lead paint, and other things, or the Industrial Revolution of the late 1800s, uh, I think the environment now industry today is much cleaner much safer than it was you know a couple of generations back three generations back and I, oh i would yeah. agree with you 
<laughs> I think it's much worse. Yeah. And how right so? Now, but, how so, Doc? Well, will we use um, a lot of people are eating GMOs. It's very hard if you go to the grocery store and you just go look at how much organic food is available yeah. compared to the GMOs. Genetically modified regular. stuff. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. And you'll know that those foods are are grown in fields that have herbicides and insecticides that um, are, you know, they're very bad for the human body. This has been noted in scientific studies, thousands of them. Um, you know, Roundup the, uh, is also called glyphosate, and everybody knows that they've come up, and Monsanto has come under great scrutiny because of the mental disorders and things that that it causes because they use it as an herbicide and we the plants absorb this and we eat it but the plant doesn't isn't um uh, affected by it because it is modified but our bodies are not anyone who would be hypersensitive and i know there's probably some folks tuning in right now or hypersensitive to to this issue, what it's in the soil, it's in the plants, it's in the food. What what alternative do they have? Should they go for like only purchasing organic grown food? Is is that a, a possible solution yeah, for them? Start. Okay. Start. Okay. Making sure that the water you get is very clean, and and um, you know I believe in getting well filtered water. Okay. And. It, the air you can't do much about, but the air has a lot of aluminum in it. They things like geoengineering taking place, and and that puts aluminum into the atmosphere, which is in, it's known to when it gets into the brain to cause mental disorders. If and one all in, around it. if one in four teens, according to Rutgers, if one in four mm-hmm. teens may have some undiagnosed uh, autism, they they land somewhere in the autism spectrum, but yet it seems that they're able to function because it, after all, it's undiagnosed, then is it truly a problem if it's, you know, n- not even an issue until you start like uh, deep diving, you know, and dr- really drilling down to see if there's something wrong there. If, if there's no problem, why, why even bother looking for it? Do you understand what I'm talking well, about? It's like one in four yeah, are undiagnosed. I yeah. Uh, I do, but it's kind of like, a, it's like watching paint dry. Uh, kids' IQs are dropping dramatically over the last 40 years. Um, IQ, IQs have dropped 10 to 30 points, and they don't know why. And uh, <laughs> Public and education, so, yeah. maybe? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Video games, you know, lazy parenting, <laughs> all the above. Me and you are on the same page there, yeah. <laughs> All right, same Doug. Page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, any final recommendations for for parents tuning in right now on the whole autism thing? Maybe they suspect that their child... uh, Yeah, I mean, try to keep them off their telephones as much as possible. The electromagnetic spectrum that they're constantly exposed to, that blue light coming off that that, uh, field is really bad for the brain. And keep the the, uh, screen time down and get the kids out there playing and running and using their body, eating good food. Thank you, Dr. Francis. Have a good weekend. Expert hey, in, in autism. Do- yes, sir. Dr. Francis Murphy. This is the Sergio Show.
710-KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710-KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710-KURV. KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Financial transactions, how they're performed, evolve all the time. And of late, it seems that at warp speed, new technology is headed this way and the evolution is um, at breakneck speed at the moment with artificial intelligence. So let me bring someone who is likely looking at this very often, has to teach this, probably do some research on this. Dr. Gary Orsi is with the SMU Cox School of Business. Dr. Gary, artificial intelligence and payments to, let's say, Visa and MasterCard, other things like that, some of them setting aside some money to see how they can apply AI. And how do you see it? AI being used in financial transactions, day-to-day and, and credit card transactions. Uh, yeah, thank you for in- inviting me to, uh, this morning. Um, it, it's just part of the overall AI wave that's transforming a lot of the way we, um, we do business. Their, their $100 million investment is substantial, uh, and it's part of the $30 billion estimated spend against AI, trans- uh, AI transaction and uh, financial services kinds of uh, implementations that are expected between now and 2025. 30 billion in two years is an enormous amount of money. Um, things that, that are going to be um, evident is going to be uh, a better fraud detection. Okay. You know, in, the, in, the, in the years when we started, uh, you might, might have gone back to the point where if you went out of town, you expected to spend on a hotel or, or airfare or, or meals. But if you took two hours away from the day and went down the street to buy uh, fishing gear that you know that might have clicked on a, a fraud uh, uh, alert. Uh, today, though, they know you like fishing gear, and you know you might be 100 <laughs> miles away from home, but you know, you're just taking a moment to uh, to go get it. Uh, you know, we've seen payments get easier, right? We we like the fact that we don't have to carry uh, credit cards anymore or yeah. too much. Yeah. Uh, we can use our phone for automated payments, and now they're talking about Smile to pay, right? Would you? Imagine looking at looking at the cashier and smiling at them in order to get your payment done. That's right. And I saw the other day somebody post uh, information on how they were using, I guess, palm prints or or fingerprints in order to yeah. generate payment somewhere. Yeah, biometrics, uh, you know, are are really coming on strong. And you know, if you then authorize the payment, maybe it's uh, via fingerprint, maybe it is uh, you know, by other unique methods of, of measuring. The other thing that's going to happen is a lot more personalization. So um, Visa, MasterCard, you know, your banking companies have a lot of information about the sort of things you buy. Uh, and again, imagine you know, you're somewhere other than your hometown and you typically get a Starbucks in the afternoon for a pick-me-up. Uh, <laughs> oh now it's com- coming about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Visa yeah. goes, hey, uh, maybe you want that pick-me-up in yeah. wherever you are. The Starbucks is two blocks away. Here are the directions. And by the way, Starbucks is one of our retail customers, so they're going to offer you 10% off on that purchase. Enjoy. Are you comfortable with that, Doc? I don't know if I am. All these computers, all these databases, <laughs> talking to each other, knowing what my routine is, 
the things that I like to eat, like to do, and suggesting all this. Because anyone with nefarious intent, uh, man, they get access to that data. I don't know where this could go, Doc. And I just all these computers talking to each other. Uh, are you comfortable with that, Doc? Well, um, I, I think we've been on that slippery, <laughs> slippery slope now for a little oh, bit. Wow. Yeah. Um, the, the research that I do, is, you know, shows that which you know on that topic. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doc. Doctor Gary Orsi is with the SMU Cox School of Business. We're talking about AI and a financial transaction. And you just mentioned, you know, we've been on that slippery slope for a while. Is is Facebook? Is Twitter? Is your smartphone? Are all this? Are they listening in to conversations with my wife or with my kids where I mention, uh, I don't know, Legos, and all of a sudden I see Lego advertising on some of these social media. Are they listening in and they just haven't admitted it? Uh, well, they actually have ad- admitted it. And, um, you know, the Alexas in the series um, have a passive listening capability. Why are they listening? They're, they're listening for, you know, the code word um, Alexa or Siri. Can you give me some fo- the following information? Um, yeah, they they protected that. You can turn that uh, feature off in many instances. My dissertation was uh, based on the question of whether you trust Alexa with your most personal and private uh, questions. No. <laughs> and, and, well, it's <laughs> interesting. I asked my students who are all millennials uh, that question, a couple hundred of them, and they said, absolutely not. Then I went on into the general public with millennials, and they said, absolutely you know, wow. people have been asking all these questions of Google for yeah. years, right? And uh, the fact that we trust Google with our data, you know, enables us to uh, to kind of do that. Yeah. Um, people adopt the technology for three reasons. One, it makes your life easy. So, you know, if there's a recommendation for something you like, um, that kind of is, is, is inherent. Secondly, um, it is trustworthy and it performs. Like you ask what a good movie might be and can you buy me tickets and it gets it all done. And the last and most important is trust in that brand. So if Google or Microsoft or any of the folks with your data or Visa were to breach that trust, um, you know, you would drop them in a moment. Yeah. I don't have Alexa because, frankly, I I don't trust her. Uh, that, that she has a snooty name. I don't have any of that. But, yeah, I got Siri. I got, a, I got one of those Apple uh, smartphones. Yeah, I don't, I don't trust you, Siri. I don't trust you. She's listening to me right now. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. It's a pleasure meeting you. We'll call you again yeah. from, the Thank SMU, you very much. Yes, sir, from, from the SMU Cox School of Business, Dr. Gary Orsi. This is the Sergio Show.